1: with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. I'm talking to Paco Cabo. We're going to be talking about the philosophy of plant neurobiology and the MINT Lab, the Minimal Intelligence Lab. So, Paco, thanks for coming. How are you doing today?
2: Hi, Richard. Well, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. So you're studying plant intelligence, is that right? I do, yeah, yeah.
2: I know it sounds awkward, but that's what we do. <laughs> well, you
1: know, I've spoken to some people that work with plants and in many ways, uh, plants seem unbelievably intelligent, especially in how they can create chemicals to defend themselves. And um, there's far more to plants, I think, than anyone thinks. So, but uh, but let me know your interpretation. What what fascinates you about plants, and what you, what gets you into working with them?
2: Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I guess that the the starting point is definitely that we suspect that plants are smart, right? They've got to be intelligent, otherwise they wouldn't be here right? So so in a sense they've got to be intelligent uh, to have passed their genes right but i guess right. that we don't quite understand what we mean by that so what what do we mean by intelligence or what do we what do we mean to say when we say that plants are intelligent right so for example this thing about the chemicals and the, you know these things uh, well that could be just be interpreted as a, as an adaptation right you might just say well you know yeah sure i mean they behave adaptively but that might not deserve the label intelligence, right? So I guess we need to, to you know, to do some work both theoretical and empirical to really uh, grasp what it means for a an organism, for a living system to be to be intelligent. So that's what we're after.
1: Okay. So, what are some examples of uh, plants that they really impressed you? That you know made you mm-hmm. feel like, wow, this this has to be. It has to be a lot more here than uh, than we're seeing initially.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, uh, generally speaking, I mean, any pattern of behavior that is anticipatory, so is, in a sense, they are uh, predicting future outcomes and is goal-directed and is flexible enough so that it's not hardwired, like, you know, responding to environmental sources of stimulation on a one-to-one basis, right? So like the cartoon the cartoon picture of plant behavior is like, you know, they sense gravity, they grow downwards, the root, they sense light, so they behave phototropically. That's the cartoon version. The truth is that things are a little bit more complicated. So they have to integrate all this information coming from all these channels and somehow provide a a response that is globally adaptive, right? So so the the examples, the the examples in particular, that's a thorny issue because for one thing, we miss most of what plants do. And that's our real hurdle. to be able to observe their this sophisticated behavior that they are able to exhibit and we simply miss it because well because of the scale of observation their time scale our time scale as observed here for example at, at the minimal intelligence lab what we do is we time lapse uh, plant uh, behavior When we say plant behavior, we mean their patterns of growth and development. So we have a plant, we time-lapse it with a camera. So we take a picture like every minute, every five minutes, and then we assemble the footage after a few days. And then when you do that, so when you slow down your scale of observation to, to the behavior, to the time scale of their behavior, then you are able to start unearthing some patterns which are really interesting. In particular, in our case, we are especially interested in climbing beans, or climbing plants in general. In, in particular, the the climbing bean is the uh, one of our models, and here we try to understand how is it that they control if they happen to do because that's another issue whether it's actually the case so but the working hypothesis is that they might be controlling endogenously the approaching maneuver so the way they target a, a support a pole a host no somewhere some some support to climb onto and trying around like good climbers do right and and, and we try to understand uh, how is it possible for them to do it without a brain because we've got to remind ourselves that they don't have a nervous system. So how are they able to do it? So that's one of the challenges and and the climbing being in this case or vines in general are, you know, challenging example of, of non-neural intelligence.
1: So what have you observed, you know, I I guess you set up a whole bunch of plants or climbing beans and a whole bunch of poles. And then you've watched using time-lapse how the, um, their stalk would approach the pole and wrap around it. Hmm. Looked for a, uh, you know, behaviors that tell you if it's sensing the pole and deciding whether to wrap around it at a certain angle, and you know, sure. or just blundering around and feeling the pole randomly. I mean, like, sure. like what have you observed specifically when you've looked at this kind of stuff?
2: Well, here, I mean, we do two things. Actually, it's a technique I was telling you about. On top of that, we are also registering the electrical activity uh, going on throughout the plant body with the electrodes. We insert electrodes uh, throughout the stem. Um, so, by combining these two techniques uh, of observation, we are able to gather more data and try to find correlations in between the overt behavior that we are able to observe through time lapse footage and the, and the underlying electrical activity. Now, we've got to be a little bit here, Right. For one thing, um, right now, right now, I would say I'm more interested in rather than in providing, a, you know, like a setting stone answer, which we don't have yet. And hopefully we won't have for a long time. And by this, I mean that in science, we should be more interested in the type of new questions we are able to to put on the table rather than the, you know, Mainstream or orthodox answers we are able to provide. So at this stage, I'm even more interested in in trying to unearth uh, new patterns of behavior, uh, things that we weren't expecting them to do. And in that sense, we are, you know, we've been time lapsing round the clock for the last uh, couple of years. And, and we want to hold it back and, and be careful enough, you know, not to not to overinterpret the data. We want to be careful, very careful, and, and avoid, you know, anthropomorphic biases, because for one thing, the way, in a sense, when you are watching time lapse uh, footage, uh, you can't help but, you know, project your anthropocentric. Uh, Biases and preconceptions onto the footage you are watching. So we we need to be very careful, and then we need to you know to sit back and relax and and think of themselves of the subject models and not of ourselves as observers. So we, for example, now we digitize we digitize all the all the all the time lapses frame by frame, and so that we can track down the the actual trajectories and then see the patterns of acceleration and deceleration. So take, for example, if you see the vine approaching the pole, you might expect them to to accelerate or to decelerate gently as as think of a, a bird landing on a perch. So, so to speak, they might be doing the same, but we don't know. And this is a, 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 a complex issue. So at this point, we are trying to collect as much data as possible before we uh, we are able to, you know, to make a pronounced process
1: Well, if you have years of time lapse data already, you're not analyzing it, or are you analyzing it? Like, what have you seen so far? What are some interesting yeah. things you've seen?
2: Well, we we suspect um, we suspect that there is um, definitely a form of endogenous control. Uh, which means simply bump onto the the host or the pole, so they don't simply, you know, the So the pattern of circunnotation, this is the type of movement all plants exhibit. Actually, any plant organ, so could it be flowers, leaves, stems, tendrils, roots, shoots? So any part of a plant grows by performing this motion of revolution, right? The pattern of It revolves around as cells elongate differently, right? So one
1: one you mean uh you mean a a, a tendril will spiral outwards in a direction? Is that what you mean? Instead of yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, growing straight it spirals out.
2: Yeah, that's it. That's it. So they revolve around and and in a sense, uh well, that's that's the regular pattern, right? So in that sense, as remember we were talking before about we about uh behavior that is merely adaptive so you might say hey no big deal about it right so vines certainly are in the business of climbing around hosts so definitely those that are good at that are the ones that pass their genes right so in a sense we want to to put some pressure on them even if artificially in a, of course in an experimental setting but see how they are able to cope with uncertainty with contingencies put it this way Put it this way, um, we remember we were saying that plant behavior on top of being adaptive is got to be anticipatory or predictive or goal directed right so another way to put it is that precisely because plants uh, operate on a slower time scale. Uh, they, in a sense, they can't afford to miss, right? So imagine you, you human or an animal, you might say, "Hey, uh, you know, I I can perform this pattern of movement. I can try to grasp the the mug or just the pole or whatever with my hand. So I stretch out and then reach, try to reach out, and then if I miss it, I can try again." No, in their case, because because they don't they don't move by locomoting towards the target, but rather by growing towards it, right? they might not be able to have a second chance the way animals do, right? So because they are sessile and they are rooted and the way they deal with their environment uh, is different from ours, they might not be able many times to have a second chance. So in that sense, anticipatory behavior is a must. So they can't afford to miss. And that's why they have to be somehow endowed with smart mechanisms or ways of dealing with with, with those uh, goal-oriented uh, needs that they have, right? So, in a sense, what we see, uh, oh, okay. I, I, yeah, sure, go on.
1: Have you done an go, experiment uh, where a plant will grow towards a pole and then you move the pole and see how the plant reacts? Yeah, that's, we, that's- be a simple test
2: yeah that's on on the agenda uh well uh um, yeah that i see what you mean by being simple but believe me is anything but simple uh well yeah that's definitely on our list uh we have many many experimental variations we are trying um we don't uh, as i i insist we don't want to be uh, be careful because uh, there are so many things that you know so many alternative explanations and it's so easy to fall prey of confirmation biases that we don't want to fall into those biases. So say, say, uh, actually, you know what happened to me once, uh, you know, I had this, what? this, this vine. Okay. I set the, the time-lapse, uh, the settings, I everything was ready to go. It was a Friday. And I said, well, perfect. I mean, uh, well, this is by the way, this is not like Darwin, right? So Darwin, would make observations to the naked eye, right? So he would have to be real patient and be there all day long, you know, marking on the glass. He was using a glass plate technique, like marking, aligning the the, the tendril or the tip he was interested in with the background point. He would align them and then mark it on a glass uh, in front of the plant. And then he would need to do that on a regular basis. So he he had to be there, right? So in our case, time-lapsing is much easier. On a Friday, I just said... Prepare the settings. A picture every minute. Off we go. And then I can go for the weekend and, and relax. And then when I come back on a Monday, I can check it out what is done for the last 48 or 72 hours, right? So, so this is what happened. Once I got back to the, uh, I got back to the to the lab one Monday morning, and there was, you know, the vine was the, here was the pole. The vine was uh, lying on the 180 degrees from the pole. So it it had just gone the opposite direction, right? Complete opposite direction. And Mm -hmm. I realized uh, how lucky I had been in this case. You know why? Because imagine that the vine happened. Imagine it had happened to land onto the pole. So the way it was, but the other 180 degrees, right onto the pole. I might have thought, hey, look at that. It went straight for the pole. But now, because right. it had gone right the other direction, I was able to understand what's going on. What was going on in this case? I, I found out that the matter was it could be explained simply. On, on, you know, it was a matter of physical constraints. It seemed that the, the soil in the pot uh, had been soaked far too much when we watered it, and it had it had lost uh, stability. So it didn't have any support, and it just went all the way down because of the water. Because of the pot, the soil was so soaked. So, but imagine I was—I said I was lucky because this way that allowed me to control more carefully about the way to water the pots and everything, how to hold the stems without interfering with their natural patterns of growth. But if in this case the plant had gone all the way towards the pole by mere coincidence, I might have overinterpreted the time lapse and say, "Hey, look at that! It went straight for it, right?" So that's a very stupid example, of course. That's something that, if you have proper controls, you are able to discard, right? If you time lapse systematically, but the amount of of parameters that you have to deal with, uh, it's it's enormous. So round the mm-hmm. clock, and there is always some other. Alternative explanation that you have to take care of. So that means more pilots, more controls. So the case which you were telling me about, the shift in the target, we are definitely working on that as well. So all combinations, uh, including different genotypes, because not all climbing beans behave the same way. So different genotypes, uh, different photo, the photomorphology uh, affects as well. So the way plants shape up their plant body out-of-the-light regime, so how light affects the way they grow. So because they are reaching the pole by growing taller, then they, you know there will be a displacement of the center of mass, and that's going to affect the way they change this initial pattern of circumnutation into the elliptical trajectory they would follow when they are targeting the pole. Uh, as you move the pole, it, it also bears uh, um, not just the shifting of the pole, but how you are Uh, the the temporal scale in which you are moving the pole, because it's got to be within the reach. So that's to say, you might think they are missing the pole when you move it, but it's got to be within the reach. So in terms of their patterns of growth. So, and that in turn has to do with the temperature, the circadian rhythms, because of the way they are regulated. What
1: do you mean mean within their reach? Yeah, well, uh, uh, imagine...
2: Yeah, if you are if you are moving the target uh, progressively away from the plant to see how the plant keeps trying to target it, right? Uh, uh, she, the plant might be perceiving the support at a distance, which that's another vexing issue. So, what's what sensory modality is involved, right, in their perception? But anyway, leaving that aside for the moment, uh, they might be perceiving the pole and yet not being able to reach it because the rate of growth is not within the scale of the of the distance you are moving the pole so you might be moving the pole at a at a, at a pace which is out of their rate of growth possibilities right so so you they grow as much as they can within their natural conditions if you put it far too far they might not make it not because they are not trying to but because it's without their so you've got to try to make it as uh, the the setting as as natural as possible these uh, in a sense this this also takes us to to you know there is always as you know a tension in between in between uh, artificial experimental uh, lab conditions and natural settings right so, so there are two issues here: is these conditions uh, how how fair they are, right? You might be testing plant behavior in a setting which has anything to do with their natural conditions, and then you might be creating an artifact or or, or making them or actually uh, triggering behaviors that are that wouldn't happen, wouldn't take place otherwise, or or you might be considering when you time lapse in the open in the wild. Uh, you might be uh, discovering patterns of behavior that simply don't take place in the lab because it's, it's, it's a less rich environment, right? So, so this. Well, why too many not start with
1: in... the uh, why not start with the initial conditions? Like you mentioned, a good hint you got was that uh, one plant you had warded the soil so much that the soil wasn't uh, structurally stable enough, yeah, for it to reach out to a pole, yeah. So maybe start with conditions there. You know, look oh yes. Yeah. Plants that have different depths of soil, different uh, you know moisture amounts in the soil, different types of soil.
2: Sure, you know the same sure.
1: plant and see how that affects reaching out for a pole in the same place, the same distance. Spectrum.
2: Oh yeah, sure, sure. I mean, I mean, uh, I, the, the 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 number of parameters and things you have to bear in mind is is enormous. So yeah, yeah, it's this this thing and it's so many others. So we are trying to you know to to. Take a look at as, as, as many different uh, conditions and settings as possible, so in that sense you know you know you, you were insisting like well but what what have you been able to to see so far and um, and I, I've been telling you that we want to be careful and careful and careful, and the reason is that nowadays um, there is a risk there is a risk uh, especially in these fields where you know there is in a sense some resistance from mainstream science from orthodoxy and, and in a sense you have like an extra burden uh, of proof right um and and you know to make the you know to make a strong claim that plants are intelligent you need to have real real uh robust data and you know and you know a very good case um and nowadays we live in a world of you know we hect- academically speaking this hec- hectic world of you know the famous infamous publish or perish right things like that and yeah. and i don't i don't want to to play that game i i want to slow down and take it easy and think enough about it because my interest is understanding what plants are up to not trying to show or to show that uh, one position is correct and another incorrect. So put it this way. I don't don't want to show that plants are able, or in this case, uh, vines are able to um, control their approaching maneuver, as we said before. Not that, but even something which is even more modest. I want to first find out whether they do it. And in case they do it, then to find out how they do it. So to do that, you cannot be uh, using uh, the opponents or alternative explanations, alternative hypotheses as, you know, strawman, Stroman alternatives. So you, you want to give your rival, your opponent, their best chance. You, ha- you want to have a very strong alternative explanation so that if you do happen to provide a, a good, explanation or to have good data that backs up your your hypothesis then it's also robust enough so 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 we want to be i insist we want to be cautious and 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 try to find out about it you know it's 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 all we all want to do so here is not a, i mean there is a thing for example of i mean now for example the templeton foundation is doing something which is very good very interesting and it's called this uh, you know adversarial um, uh, projects where you you team up you team up with not with the sympathizers of your working hypothesis, not just the guys that would a priori uh, be willing to buy your 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 theory, but actually you team up with the guys who would be willing to defend uh, another view, so that you can have you know uh, different predictions and and the possibility of of making experiments that will will tell in between them. So that's the way to yeah. go because it's not my hypothesis against yours. Is all of us together teaming up against ignorance right so that's what the way i would like to see how we should be doing science
1: what well, appears is the neo-darwinists have a stranglehold on thought so they want to say everything is random mutation and you know things like yeah. that and if you're if you're of that thought then uh, anything you do they're going to try to pass it off as that so yeah so, you know it appears to be a huge problem this doesn't appear to be yeah. you know this There's much evidence for many more mechanisms of evolution than that, but uh, I don't know if you run into that at all, but I've spoken to many scientists that seem to uh, unfortunately live in fear of that interpretation that they'll be made fun of if they don't uh, ascribe to it.
2: Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a difficult issue, but you know, nowadays again, uh, well, Darwinian, in a sense, we have to go back to, to these, um, to the botany of the 19th century. And by this, I mean, you know, to Darwin, Darwin had a clear insight, which is that uh, botany, in a sense, wasn't subordinate to zoology, right? So so that's, in a sense, that's why I think it's interesting to look into plants, not only because we want to, you know, from a basic science point of view, we simply want to understand what they are up to, in the very same sense that we want to understand scientifically any phenomenon in the universe, right? Um, but in a sense, because by thinking differently about plant life, we might be able to throw some more light our own. On our own intelligence, human intelligence, and rethink those Darwinian uh, uh, terms that we started from. Right. So think nowadays with with all the revolutions in epigenetics and, and many other vexing issues. Uh, but you know, in a sense, in a sense, we the, the, not even plants, but more generally, the whole tree of life. If you put it in terms of the tree of life itself, then you know a very complex pattern which in a sense, paradoxically, is a very simple pattern starts to emerge. That basically, and this is what was also underneath Darwin's position, is we are not that special, right? So uh, we are just a tiny end of a branch in the tree of life, and something unites us all, right? Uh, take take the very notion of sentence or consciousness, uh, Mm, uh, this, it, that, it didn't, you know, pop up from scratch in, 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 in human or other, you know, higher level, higher animals. But somehow it's got to be understood in, in terms of the, of the very tree of life itself. So if you allow me to put it in this, in this way, I would say that uh, in a sense where there is life, there is already mind there is already mentality right the only problem we have in understanding this motto is that we cannot help but thinking anthropocentrically and that's the fight we've been we've been fighting this battle for for centuries like you know reminding ourselves that we are not the center of the universe um, you know, right. we know the story. I mean, but, you know, it seems that the Ptolemaic Copernican revolution, uh, the shifting towards, uh, you know, putting ourselves in this tiny corner of the universe is, is, is happening nowadays in the neurosciences, in the cognitive sciences, in, 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 in the brain sciences in general, to try to, to, to remind ourselves that we are not that special. Right? Maybe plants uh, allows us to understanding or studying plants will allow us to 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 see it under a different light.
1: Well, look. All this being said, anthropomorphic or not, what other behaviors have you have you seen in the footage? You got a lot of footage there, you know. I mean, you tell me one, yeah, which was yeah. a good hint. But what w- you know, what else have you seen, whether you can explain yeah. it or not? That, yeah. that piques well, your curiosity.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there are, uh, we work with. With with three plant models, uh, one is the the, the climbing bean I told you about. Then we we also have a, a Mimosa pudica, right? This is well, of course, listeners will will know about it, right? The, the guy that falls when you touch it. That's for Mimosa. You don't even need to time lapse. You can see it to the naked eye. and then and then we also work on on uh, roots of maize, right? And um, those two other projects, the, well, now we started like a, a project this last January, um, with these three models. So it's, it's those two others are, we are at the very early stages. Um, and we wouldn't be able to report any, any data yet. We, we are, we will uh, soon be able to start doing something. But at least in the case of the climbing, um, some other behaviors which are interesting. Uh, one, actually, that I'm really, really uh, um, 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 curious about, is that some some uh, beans, Well, these these bins they all mostly all uh, revolve anti-clockwise, right? So they go mm-hmm. anti-clockwise, and then you can see how they are actually actually uh, changing or the circular pattern of circumulation. Changes progressively into some elliptical shape as they are targeting and approaching the pole. Uh, In effect, when you when you move the pole around, you see there is some actually, there is some some uh, reports of this uh, during the 20th century, last century. Uh, all the way. There is actually there is some very good, some very good research by by French uh, plant physiologists. Which, by the way, this was a literature that because it was in French and never got translated, it didn't go into into mainstream uh, community. So may, many people are not aware of this this literature. But anyway, there is some very good, very good literature from the sixties in in France. And here you already have the the the. Uh, Grasp the understanding that that plants were tracking the 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 target as as you were moving it around right but here what we've been able on top of this what we've been able to observe is that these plants uh, perform an incredibly rapid Clock direction, so if they were revolving anti-clockwise, when they touch the the support, sometimes okay. and, uh, and rather than rather than making so they miss it, they slip so they whoops, they go I, I touch it, but then they have to wait and make a whole new circle of revolution before they are able to touch it again, right and try to hold on to it. sometimes they are able to uh, uh, move backwards, so that would be clockwise. At an incredible speed, and that's something I had never seen before. So I have some footage. Oh, they, reversed their, yeah, they, 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 reversed they reverse their they
1: did spiral back out.
2: That's it. But but not just that. But what really what really uh, grabbed my attention was the speed, because usually think that these patterns of this so to complete a whole uh, revolution. Uh, this is temperature dependent mostly, but you know I would say that the fastest lap it takes them like an hour and ten minutes, an hour and 15 minutes.
1: The- you've seen some of them reverse back out much quicker yeah, than you anticipated. Yeah. So what's the relative speeds of spiraling in versus spiraling yeah. away that you've seen?
2: Yeah, yeah. So so that's that's what really you know I was what really uh, caught my eye was that as they were reversing this 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 pattern. Um if when they do perform the natural, the, 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 the anti-clockwise, anti-clockwise movement, they might, you know, it might take them like like uh, an hour and 10, an hour and 15 minutes to complete the whole circle of revolution. Now, when they reverse after having sensed, after having touched the pole, when they reverse the direction of their of their second notation, they are able to complete uh, like like uh, half of the trajectory which would have taken them like 20 or 30 minutes, they are able to do it in one or two minutes. So that's that, mm-hmm. that's unbelievable. I've watched this for, you know, a few, few times. I I, I I joke about it. I say, this is the Usain Bolt, you know, the, <laughs> the race. Right. Uh, yeah, so this is the Usain Bolt, but still... I I go back again to to being cautious. I don't want to overinterpret it. It might be, you know, there could be many many possible explanations. This, but this is certainly intriguing. So we want to keep time lapsing and 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 find and see what we find out.
1: Well, for instance, there you said you want to be cautious. What could be several interpretations of reversing quickly?
2: Uh, hold, say again.
1: What are what are some possible interpretations? You said you want to be careful about yeah. how you're interpreting this. So, what are some possible interpretations that you think would be? Yeah, you know, yeah. That
2: well, for, for one thing, yeah, sure. For one thing, as as the tendril uh, touches uh, the pole, sometimes you can see how it's uh, some it, there's some tension building up. Right, it's just barely barely touching with the very tip of the tendril is very touching the pole, and it's, it's it keeps It keeps putting pressure to keep moving uh, anti-clockwise, and then do you you see the bending zone? The bending zone is 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 curving, 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 and is building up some tension. So it might be simply be a physical uh, constraint that is like a spring-like. So it would be it it would spring back out of to release the tension. So it might be just a physical explanation of the phenomenon. That's why we want to be extra careful.
1: Okay. Well. Yeah, yeah, here. So you think it may just be what physically all of a sudden it took the plants twenty minutes to do one action, but now for some reason it takes one minute, but that's just something physically going on that's allowing it allowing it to do it. There's no intent there. It's just a, a reflex somehow.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an alternative explanation and we shouldn't ignore it, as I was insisting, we should not make of our, you know, of the contender's position a strong position. So let's let's give them their their best chance to counterattack, and then we might be able to design other experiments and make more accurate observations and try to discard them or, or not to discard them, but to to see what's actually going on there. We don't know yet.
1: Mm. Okay, well, well, very good. So What's the best way for people to uh, to find out more about your work? and maybe they get in contact with the lab or, or ask questions.
2: Yeah. Sure.
1: What yeah, should they uh, email uh should they go to a website? What's the best way for people to follow up? Oh. Find out more.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, of course, I mean, well, you know, I'm I'm I don't know if this is good or bad, but I'm usually on my email, right? Oh, okay. I people are welcome to to drop me a line and I I usually will reply know I, I try to respond to all the emails if if there are too many it will take some time for me so please right. be patient but but email email I would say the best way to reach out but of course they can also you know check out my website and and which is a, a minimal intelligence lab you know here at the University of Murcia so they can google me up and 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 see what we are up to.
1: okay. Well, very good. Well, back I appreciate you coming on the call. It's been uh, it's been interesting. Thank you for being here.
2: Well, thanks, Richard. It was a pleasure.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Health podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.